Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All righty. We're ready to start Chapter 4. More murder. Yay. <laughs> Uh, so remember where we've been now. Uh, Abner was the guy pushing for Saul's last son Ishbosheth to to be uh, the new king. Of course, the southern kingdoms want David, so there erupts a civil war. Abner keeps pushing and pushing and pushing for this this really lame leader Ishbosheth to become the new king. But as it turns out, Abner is the one behind the whole thing. And Abner is doing that. We talked last week, it's uh, chapter 3. Abner two times says, oh, I've known all along that God wants David to be the king. But I oppose that. (laughs) I, I, I have a better plan. So I will discount God's plan and institute my own. But eventually, over the course of time, Abner begins to realize that, well, God's will be done, and it's not going well for Ishbosheth. So he actually starts to make a treaty with David, and then, obviously, not long after that, uh, Abner is is killed. So uh, uh, Joab, one of David's commanders, kills him because uh, Abner killed Joab's brother in a previous battle. So uh, David puts a curse on on Joab's house, and now we have to, with Abner gone, Ishbosheth is. He had no power whatsoever to start with, and the only thing he had was because Abner gave it to him, and now Abner's gone, so he literally has nothing. Uh, it, uh, first verse says that you know, when Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage. He didn't have any to start with. How do you lose? <laughs> I mean, he's a real weenie. Um, you know, what, uh, it just struck me odd. He really never had any courage. He, he, did, he did nothing. So, again, in this several-year civil war, the only military or political decision he made was to give David back his original wife, Saul's daughter, his you know Ishbosheth's sister. Uh, when David ran away, Saul takes that daughter and gives her to another man, and now Ishbosheth takes him back as kind of a pacifying agent to give David back his his original wife. We're going to read more about her probably before the day's out. But throughout all of this, I mean, we really need to ask ourselves why Ishbosheth was not with Saul and the other brothers on the battlefield that day. And I can only conclude that it was because he is so so weak. Uh, he was actually a liability on the battlefield. So Dad says, "No, yeah, you know, I can't be looking out for you in in the midst of this battle. You you stay home. Uh, let Mom take care of you and." Uh, the, the rest of us manly men will go into war. And uh, so that's the only reason Ishbosheth was, was, was still alive. But, you know, that was a battle that pretty much was all hands on deck type of situation. And we needed everybody uh, to be in that battle. And obviously the Israelites lost anyway. So kind of kind of tough. Now, we can see how all, all that proceeds through. So... Uh, 
chapter 4 goes in, in that direction. And now as we get into chapter 5, we talked last week that the, 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 the king of Tyre, the neighboring country, actually becomes an ally to Israel, which is pretty good because everybody else was constantly at war. I mean, you are literally surrounded by enemies. And pretty much Israel always has and always, always will. So everybody around is an enemy of Israel, from the north, from the, from the east, from the south. Fortunately, the Mediterranean's on, <laughs> on the west, so they don't have to worry about enemies there. But uh, in, in, in 512, David knew, the word knew, David knows now for sure that the Lord had established him as king. I mean, after all this process, David is absolutely sure that God has placed him as the king. But look at the reason why God did this. The quote there in, in, in 512. God exalted David's kingdom for the sake of God's people Israel. So David is the one who personally gets all the blessing, gets all the notoriety, gets all the acclaim. But the purpose God has for the king in general, and David in specific, is that this king will be a blessing to the people. That the king won't just take it all for himself, that he will be a blessing to the nation. And again, as we, we talked last week, that needs to be the model for all leaders. The choice is you will either follow God or you'll follow yourself. So what David is choosing to do here is to simply follow where God wants him to go. And so his, his ultimate goal is to be a blessing to the nation. Not to be blessed, but to bless the nation. Now again, the similarity with, with, with Jesus. Jesus says, I've come to serve, not to be served. Right? My purpose is to help you, not take from you. But you recall when Saul became king, God said, the king will take your, your daughters, will take your sons, will take your, your crops, will take your livestock, and eventually will make you a slave to him. And that's kind of what, what Saul did. David now is going to be doing it the way God wants him to do it, and that's going to change dramatically. All this means is that David is great because he is willing to do whatever God wants him to do. So it's not, not by what, what we are doing, but rather what other people need to see in and through us is God working through us. So we simply are the, the, the vessel or the vehicle by which God's will be done. That's, that's the purpose. And that's kind of easy to tell. Because the, the attitude of the motivation of the person doing it. And yeah, I've I've been able to discern that over my, my many years. You know, when a person wants to do something, you can pick up pretty quickly whether they want to do it because they want others to to see them as this great Christian, or if they're doing it simply because they want to serve God. And if we had a church full of people that just wanted to promote themselves, you can see what a disaster that would be. So it's not about it's not about us, it's about God. And David really seems to have that down to a science. So Jerusalem now becomes the seat of God's kingship. Remember we talked last week. That, that's, that was God's purpose originally. Yeah. 
will have a human being sitting on a throne that you can see, but that person really is not the king. I have been the king, I will continue to be the king, and I will insist that this human king come to me, and I will tell this king what to do. So in other words, the, 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 the throne now is a symbol of God's leadership. That's the design. That's the way it's, it's supposed to be. <coughs> now, uh, get into uh, 5.13. Uh, this is a pretty important passage. Now, we've, we've already had a list of the children born to David in Hebron. And now we have a list of 11 more children. Yes. And an amassing of, of wives and porcupines. Or, or concubines. Uh, if you wanted to refer to Deuteronomy 17.17, 17, God actually declares a law, a rule he makes. That and it says in a general way, no man is to have too many wives. Well, what's the definition of too many? I, I wish he had defined that. Yeah, four or less. Yes, yeah, exactly. Good idea. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, I wanted to do the house cleaning and the cooking. Well, yeah, yeah, there you go. So we're entering into a conversation now that's going to lead it's not going to be to chapter i think 11 where we get Bathsheba but it's already giving us clues as to this preponderance this uh uh i guess for lack of a better phrase this defect in David that David is not perfect but he likes him the women <laughs> right and uh yeah more and more so it but God said you shouldn't have too many wives uh, by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, specifically for for uh, uh, pastors, le- le- leaders of the churches, that you, you know, I mean, in that it was a huge shift because you know they there were most everybody had multiple wives, but he says no, the the example is one wife, yeah, per per person, and uh, we were you know, as we went through this last night, we you know, us us men in the room just kind of laughed at the, <laughs> the, the 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 silliness. I mean, can you imagine? Just imagine, Bob. Can you imagine <laughs> four, five, six wives and, and a, a multitude? You know, a concubine is nothing more than a girlfriend, mm-hmm. a girlfriend who lives with you. Now, how weird is that? Yeah, you know, you'll marry these half dozen, but you won't marry me. Um, it, it is just really, really odd. So, verse thirteen is very telling. David took more concubines and wives. Now, every other place in Scripture where you find that formula, concubines and wives, it is reversed. Because the wife is the more important. And the Bible always puts things in in order. But now, for David, it's concubines first. You see? I like me the women. Right? So, he is just a real hound dog. Right? He's, He's... he sees a cute chick. He's he's all about it, right? And apparently, you know, amassing that, and uh, yeah, which then more kids, okay, more wives, more concubines, more kids. Right? Da, 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 da. It just keeps going, 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 going like that. Is that like a harem? Did he have a harem? But I, I think yeah, you could you could call it that, surely. Yeah, that no, that that's a yeah. Other cultures around would refer to that as a harem, but 
that it's the exact same thing. You know, the more the more women you have, and yeah, you know, the, the problem is with in that culture and certainly in all the neighboring countries was the sign of virility. Now remember that's uh, that, that's why Mephibosheth could never be king because he he couldn't walk. So it's not a, a sign of strength when you're lame. So you know that person could never be king because it just people couldn't get that through their heads. So what you do then is you you just kind of puff yourself up. So uh, and you do do that by surrounding yourself with as many women as, as, as possible. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I, I just don't get it. But you know, this is indicating now that, that David is becoming full of himself. I mean, he's just, he just kind of getting to that point. He's, he's, he's leaning that way. That uh, you know, God, God is greatly blessing him. Uh, and it, it, by any observation, would, it would seem as though David can do no wrong. How old was he about here? And how much later... How long had he been off the mountain uh, tending sheep? <laughs> now, I didn't say anything. He said he was there tending sheep. <laughs> he was 40 whenever he got the king. He was 40? He said he was 30 years old. 30 when he became. 30? I'm just curious. Yeah, that relatively young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... So yeah, he's been through a lot. I mean, it's that's, and, that's really the point I was trying in a, to make. In make. a 10-15 year period, yes, it was. Yeah, because he's really coming into his own. Right, <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> but, but isn't it funny that that the, that the Bible reveals this to us? Yeah, I mean, it, it so far has painted this picture of, I mean, for all intents and purposes, of 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 perfection. I mean, David literally can do no wrong. And but here's a kink in the armor, and potentially could turn out to be his downfall by the time we get to Bathsheba. So what it's saying is that David has, in fact, taken too many women. And it is going to get him in trouble. So, yeah, it, it, it's bad for two reasons. One is because, Deuteronomy 17, 17, God declares... Thou shalt not have too many women. So that's a, a breach of that law immediately. But secondly, again, by the, by the culture around, David is now just like the others. Remember how we started with the, this whole king process? The cry of the people? We want to be like the other nations. And here we have the king modeling exactly what other nations do. Now, it gets into real, real fun stuff because, you know, like father, like son. Wait, do we get to Solomon? You sit down, Bob. 700 wives and 300 porcupines. A thousand women in your home. A thousand. And they all wanted to run bathroom. Yes! <laughs> That's why it's called the palace. Uh, th- come on. Who does that? We're trying to outdo dad. Well, exactly. But you see, in, in their mindset, that's that's was the norm. The more the, the more women you have, the the more the more livestock, the more things you can count. And then of course, the bigger the palace, the more 
You know, power you have, the more authority you have, the more virility you have. So in all those ways, you're, you're trying to you know, project this, this image. And there's a number of animals that, that do that, that you know, when, when threatened or, or in mating, they, 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 they have things that puff out and you know, they just they become ten times larger than what they normally are. They're like, look at me. Well, you know, but that's, that's all, all, all fake and frilly stuff, right? I mean, it's not, not the real you. But David seems to be falling into that trap. Like I say, Solomon is just, just comical. But uh, again, Solomon is the one who will build the temple, uh, expand the palace. Obviously, if you've got you know, a thousand chicks running around, you've you got <laughs> you to have more, more room. And it just goes and goes. But re- re- remember the story when the, the, the Queen of Sheba was renowned to be the most rich person in the world. And she got invited to Solomon's, to a party at Solomon's. And she walked in, and her jaw hit the floor. <laughs> it's like, dude, you got you got way way more than I do. <laughs> right? So yeah, it was it just it's kind of a competition. You know, who has the most stuff? And unfortunately, women were considered stuff. So when was only one man and one woman decided? Who decided that and why? I mean, it, you know, if God, I mean, if they, if you could have more wives back then, then who made one man to to one woman. Pretty much New Testament. So is that our law or God? Uh, you, know, you know what I mean? I, no, that was, you know, God, God is actually passing that on. Uh, actually, Paul, Paul got word on that. So uh, um, Peter is the first pope uh, who, in fact, was married, but look at the direction they went then. You know, no, no, no priest could be married. <laughs> so they went kind of the other way. But I say all the other cultures around are multiple wives, and it's still those cultures today out in the Middle East are still, you know, multiple wives. All the, all the sheikhs, you know, hundreds, hundreds of wives, and it, it's just, for some reason, that is supposed to appear as though I'm, I'm a powerful person. No, that's called admiring, um, admiring God's work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great admirer. <laughs> Solomon. Solomon too was trying to find some kind of satisfaction in his life, and I think he he tried to find it through things and, yep. and finding women also. And how could he? Didn't. Could you imagine how tired he? Could be? <laughs> <laughs> That's called running with the big dog. <laughs> but how do you see? How do you how do you structure that? You you got a thousand women that you are, for lack of a better phrase, are supposed to sleep with on a regular basis. Well. You know, there's no bed big enough for all that, so you have to rotate them. So a thousand. So that's if you, if you did one a night, you wouldn't get back to number one again for more than three years. You'd only see your husband once every three years. I mean, for some some wise, that might be a good thing. Ah <laughs> oh, man, my number's up again. <laughs> Bring in that, that porcupine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The stunt double. Yeah. <laughs> Bring in the porcupine. And I, think, I, I wonder, though, with the, with the way the culture was back at that time, the women did not think like the women today. No, no. I mean, if they could be in a harem, that was probably a good deal. They didn't marry for, because they loved the guy in most cases. I know we see Maybe that in, in stories with yeah, financial relationship. Yeah, in biblical stories with today's influence on. I know we see that, 
but the women were pretty much just property and, and they thought of themselves as that. They didn't think that they had any rights. And so if they could be in a harem and only see the king once a year, why not? <laughs> well, it's actually, you know, for since day one until fairly recently, I mean, the process of the, the dowry for the bride, basically the father of the, of the, of the bride is paying him off. Here, take her off my hands, please. You know, that's, and believe it or not, that's when they did that when they were teenagers. And that's, that's why they got married so young. It's like, get this 15-year-old out of my house. Yeah, really, that's what I, got. I see a lot of value in that. So it just a, a, a different time, to say the least. And it's hard, hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but you know that's the way it was. But unfortunately, David, as this man of God, he's in every other way is able to, to distance himself from the cultural norms, the evil norms. But in this sense, he, he falls right, right into that trap. And What was that Deuteronomy? 1717. 1717. Were the children of the concubines full inheritors of things, or were they in, in that culture, like we're at today, they're, you know, they're not looked as being a full... No, 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 it was kind of... Yeah, they, they didn't have the full rights, the inheritance, or nothing of the of the father, no. They were just children of the father. Right. But again, as Jim's explaining, I mean, in in that culture, the women didn't mind that. Right. Because it, it, it was a... It, women in that day can't for the most part, they couldn't hold jobs. So they, they had no source of income for themselves. So you had to be affiliated with, connected to either your father or an elder son or a husband. But all three males, right? You had to be connected to another male of influence. And so that's why one of the three people Jesus brings back from the dead is the widow of Nain's son. They're going through this little town called Maine and bump into a funeral procession. And this woman leading the procession is obviously very distraught. And come to discover she is a widow, which means her husband died, so I don't have a husband. Obviously her, her father has died, and now this is her only son. So the three possible connectors in that culture are gone for her. In other words, she has nothing. She can't go out and get a job, there's no social security, there's no public assistance. This lady's going to be dead in a week. That's all there is to it. And worse yet, in that culture, in that, 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 that Jewish culture, a woman in that, that, that predicament, in that situation, no one would help her because everyone would look at her and say, well, you've done something wrong. God hates you. I'm not going to get near you. I'll get hit with the same lightning bolt. I mean, that's the way they thought. You know, a very cause and effect type of relationship with God. So if something bad happens to you, you did something bad, you deserve this. I'm not going to help you because I'm actually, if I help you, I, I, am, I am going against God's plan. God's punishing you. I don't want to help you. Now, how's that for a, a different mindset? But you know, all that factors in in, in this, this day and time. I know, it's way different, but we have to understand that's the way the, the, these people are thinking, and that's their motivation. But somehow David gets, gets caught up in all this, this uh, Hollywood glitz, glitz and glamour. Problem with what you're saying, or, 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 or I'm having trouble understanding. David liked the women, and he kept took too many women, and that was his downfall. And and he was a man after God's own heart. But see, to me, that would be creating, making the same mistake over and over again. 
But with, with, with Bathsheba, we get that straightened out. So he gets, you know, it's really severe. Uh, God intervenes, sends the prophet, gets David's attention. David repents, and then David does as, as Jesus says so many times, go and sin no more. So David finally gets it after Bathsheba. So he doesn't, he doesn't keep, keep chasing women after Bathsheba, but up to that point, yes. See, I, I think, like, for myself today, like, if I make a mistake, you know, I can go to God and ask for forgiveness, and I might falter once or twice again, but I better not keep faltering on that same mistake. But, but he obviously did, and God kept forgiving him. Until Bathsheba, and then the, the hammer is dropped, and David finally gets it. So at any time, the hammer could be dropped. Mm-hmm. So, but... Uh, yeah, and that's that's good news for us that that God does not allow us to. He just doesn't let us go. He tries to intervene. He tries to do whatever is necessary to get us back. Now, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, um, you know, all that. That you know, that, that there's always that 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 trying to draw back. Now, frankly, most people don't get that, but a guy like David does, who because he is a man after God's own heart, by by nature. So basically, it's, it's, it's just awesome, 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 except for this one thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, the one thing's really big, but you see, it, it, so it's not like a totally screwed up life and one good thing, it's the opposite. And so that's why it was, I think, possible for, for David to relatively easily, he just needed to you know, smack up alongside the head that he gets it now and he said, okay, you're right, sorry God, I'll stop this nonsense and, and be... Be the person you, you need me to be. My bad. Yeah. We always have to remember there is a hammer. Yes, yes. There is a hammer. And a pricey one. You know. Pricey. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because, I mean, and what we will see is that part of the hammer, now it's not that God did this, but this is part of the process because every, every choice has a consequence. So he chooses Bathsheba, and the end result of that is she conceives, but the baby dies. God didn't kill the baby. It's just the circumstances created as such. And on top of that then, since he has so many women, and obviously is not the best of fathers, uh, one of his sons tries tries to kill David. So we have one son who kills uh, another son, half-brother, and then another son who tries to kill David. So like I say, I mean, it just you, you get that. What I'm saying is in God, God's mercy, God doesn't stop the, 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 the process of the consequences and what, what they cause. No, just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that, okay, now I'm going to erase all the bad stuff from your life. I mean, you created this. This is going to keep, keep spiraling and keep, keep going off. I'll love you, forgive you. you know, you're going to be fine, but... I'm not going to prevent all these bad things from happening. So David's life gets pretty, pretty rough. I think our dysfunction nowadays is a lot better than the dysfunction back then. <laughs> I think we've got better with our dysfunction. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> yeah, we'll think about it in a minute. <laughs> Three thousand years of practice. Yeah, so yeah. Do, 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 do that for you. <laughs> but we're not that bad yet. <laughs> oh my! So that's. That's always a fun conversation. Dave, David and his harem. So yeah, let's just, we'll start using that, Linda. That's I was glad you said that. Yeah. 
glad to hear your description of what a concubine is, because I had a, the jam kids ask one time. Yes. And the shepherds kind of look at me like, so I just said, well, it's like a girlfriend, but, he, but they live in the palace with the king. Yeah. And they were, that was fine. Right, but... Just, yeah. I imagine some of them went home and had a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy! This is what we're They just, yeah, it, it's just because, again, you know, we, we know what we know. And kids have, yeah, small kids have no desire to think, you know, well, what did they live like 3,000 years ago? They have no, no concept of that. But that's the way it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it, it just. But the, the, the good news is that the Christian church literally was the first organization that granted women equal status. I mean, it was landmark in its day. Uh, you know, the churches, I mean, women who, who weren't allowed to do anything. The, the, the Jewish law was, uh, wives, if you had a question in church, you wait till you get home and ask your husband. You're not even allowed to ask in public. <laughs> Been dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you don't want to bring back the good old days after all, do you? Ah, yeah. Been dead. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but again, that's part of that culture. So, just completely foreign and alien. It, it makes absolutely no sense. But for them, it seemed to work. And I guess that that's what you grew up, and that's all you know. That's okay. But uh, yeah, we've kind of developed out of that, and uh, rightfully so. But it, you know, again, what you know, the Christian Church declares, you know. We're, we're all equal, but it took us better part of 2,000 years to finally actually start living that here in this country, uh, established in freedom. Uh, took, took, took a long time to even make that happen. So, I mean, I, I, I still can't imagine a time when, when women were not allowed to vote. Really? <laughs> that, just, that is just so bizarre. You know, how you can make a, a, a law against that is, is beyond me. I mean, because you know, we're declaring we're, 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 we're a Christian nation. You know, why would we separate it in, in, in that sense? It wasn't even a law against it. It was just it never occurred to them. Right. That, that it should include women, the right to vote. Yep. All men are created equal, not women. It's hard. So, ay, ay, So then in verse 17, we start another, another fun story because... The, the Philistines pop up again. They're like locusts. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. But now keep in mind that in the two and a half year civil war, they were perfectly content with not invading. Again, the worst military move I've ever seen. If a country is fighting themselves, they would be an easy target. You can go and wipe both halves out very quickly, take over, done deal. But the Philistines aren't the sharpest tool in the shed, so they, they just sit back and watch until they unify. And I think the part that puts them over the edge is the fact that David is now the king. Now remember, David had been living with the Philistines, and I'm sure by this point they figured out <coughs> that David was actually fighting the Philistines secretly, <laughs> and the, the enemies of Israel, which were Philistine allies, for that whole two and a half year period. Uh, they start figuring that out. So they're really mad. So they don't want David to be king. So now they decide, okay, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to attack. And they, they attack in the center of Israel. Again, try, trying to put a wedge in, in the country between north and south and split them back to the way they used to be, and then try to defeat both, both halves again. 
So this is a critical, critical battle. Uh, first of all, it's against our, our, our parental enemy that Saul was commissioned by God to take care of. That was his one job, was to wipe out the Philistines, and he never did it. So now they're back again. So if, if David loses this battle, he will likely lose the support of the north. Because obviously they didn't want him to start with. Uh, but if he wins, it will solidify him as the unified king. Everybody, yay, we won. And they will you know, honor David as truly their king. So verse 19, the enemy is attacking. Any good king, any good general will say, we must respond in kind. Not David. He inquires of the Lord, verse 19. First thing he does. Not yet. That shouldn't surprise us. That's been the consistent pattern. But you know, even in that circumstance, you would think, my gosh, you know, I've got to, got to you know, respond quickly. But no, he takes the time to ask God what he wants. Now, in, in that inquiring, I mean, you're allowed to say, God, you know, the enemy's attacking. This isn't good. I don't think you want them here. <laughs> uh, I'd be more than happy to knock them out, but you tell me. I'm just telling you what I think. Tell me, tell me if, you, if you agree or disagree. Well, bottom line, I'll do whatever you tell me, but that's what I think we should do. And sure enough, God says, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, go, go knock some heads off. And so, boom, they go in and you know, win a mighty battle. Uh, verse 21, the, the victory is so great that there are, of course, a few Philistines remaining, but only a few. But they, they are so, so afraid of this, this, uh, this Jewish attack. And again, yeah, the God is leading. I mean, the, the Philistines had their gods because they abandoned their gods. You gods are worthless. Look, look what you did to us. We, we lost this battle, so obviously you are useless. Uh, they, they just abandoned their gods and, and they flee. They're so afraid. Now, David and the soldiers take their, their gods, not to take them back to Jerusalem and put them in the worship area like the Philistines did with the ark way back in 1 Samuel. Remember what happened there? God knocked Dagon over once and knocked Dagon over twice. His head popped off and his arms you know, break off and everything. So, um, you know, it's not for that sense. It's just to get these gods out and they broke them all up and destroyed them and everything because they are useless. Uh, but you know they didn't want to leave them on on the battlefield in the because the the potential would be the the few Philistine soldiers that escaped would come back and get them and kind of build all that up again. So we're just going to destroy your gods. But now keep in mind the ark is still it was stolen, wound up in Philistine territory. Uh, the Philistine moved it around to three different cities, and everybody in those cities died. Remember that. Just comical. Yeah. Well, we killed everybody in this state. Let's try it again. Sure enough, it happened again. Oh, I'm not that bright, so let's do it a third time. Then they finally said, okay, we're just going give, to give the ark back to the Israelites. Because obviously this is creating a curse upon us. The Israelites don't know what to do with it. They actually take it to the neighboring country. It's still not in Israel, Israel. And leave it there. And if you go back to that reference in 1 Samuel, it says, and it remained there a long time. And it did. Yeah, 40, 40, 50 years. It's out there. But now we're getting ready to bring it back. 
and a fun story that will be. So, now, I just don't get this. Verse 21, there's only a few Philistines left. A few. Verse 22, once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley. <laughs> Where did all they come from? Their whole nation, I, I don't understand that. It cracks me up. I thought we essentially wiped them out. But what are you going to do? They keep coming. Now, verse 25, the locations are, are important here because this was land that God originally designed for Israel, but the Philistines had taken, taken, taken it over. And now it is reclaimed for Israel. So that's good news. So the territory now is being established. So that was back in 1 Samuel 4 that the Philistines took that land. So again, 40, 50 years, they have occupied this land, and now David pushes them back out and reestablishes the true Israeli border. And there goes chapter 5. Clever thoughts, ideas, questions. Chapter 6. Now again, 1 Samuel 4 is when the ark was captured. And it was away for a long time. But now is the time to bring it home. Now interesting, Saul never came up with that. In the 40 years he was king, never once thought, boy, it'd be nice to have that ark thing back again. I remember stories about that. Never even comes up. But David remembers. So in verse 2, it gives the location where the ark was. And the name that's given is, is the name of a Canaanite city uh, that eventually was taken over and, and incorporated into the nation of Israel and given a Hebrew name, but at this time it's given the, 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 the Canaanite name. Now, I, I can't stress enough how big of a deal this is, bringing the ark back. There, there is nothing in our our experience that we can equate to it. Nothing even close. <clears throat> I mean, you know, if, if, if somebody stole the Declaration of Independence, that's a millionth of the magnitude of the Ark. It is, it is nothing compared to the Ark. Because the Ark represents the very presence of God. And so... Could you compare it maybe to Jesus? I mean... For us to understand it, yeah, it in would some small way. The would be the reference Jesus for them. Yes, yeah, it would have to be something of, of that caliber because you know, the ark represents God, and we have nothing, no object that that truly represents God for us. So we we don't have those uh, because it would become an idol mm -hmm. for us. So we're actually prohibited from those. So we, like I say, we we can't wrap our minds around this. But you're going to see how how important this is to. To the people. So they get the ark and put it on a cart, which if you read about God, God's instructions on how to transport the ark, they really shouldn't have done that. But apparently it's been so long everybody forgot and it makes sense as a mode of transportation, but it was designed to be carried by, by the priest, by the Levites. 
but they put it on a cart, and the cattle slip. Uh, there's some disruption there, and you know, I don't know, there's a pothole or whatever, but the cart starts to lean a little bit, and a chance of the ark falling out, hitting the ground. A well-intentioned guy named Uza, not Uzi, Uza, who's simply trying to help the ark not fall off the cart, reaches out, grabs it, and holds it in place. And in one second, is struck dead. We better discuss this. <laughs> now, he's trying to help. Sounds great. But God struck him dead for two reasons. Reason one. God has declared that no one, no one, no one is allowed to touch the ark. They, they put poles through. There was uh, rings that went through, and you put poles through it and lift it up and, so that you're not actually ever physically touching any aspect of it. Yes, good, good, good point. So no one's allowed to touch it, and it doesn't say, don't touch it unless I'm falling, or don't touch it unless, you know, something's going to, you know, a tree's going to fall on me or something. It just says nobody touches this ever. That's it. That's an easy rule to remember. Kind of like murder, right? Do not murder. It's not, do not murder except under these circumstances. If you're really mad and the other person really deserves it, right? <laughs> it, it just, don't do it. Three words. Do not murder, period. This rule was, was that way. So don't do that. And everybody knew that. The second reason is that the ark represents the embodiment of God. When they saw the ark, they saw God, in other words. So reaching out to help God raises the theological issue. Does God need our help? No. So, Uzzah, yes, well-intentioned, but from God's perspective, I told you don't touch it. And secondly, how dare you assume you can help me? Don't you think that if I don't want to hit the ground, I won't? <laughs> Right after after the Exodus and all these miracles, it should be obvious I can do anything I I I, I please. So, yeah, don't do this. So it, it's it's a it's a pretty big theological issue here that God literally does not need our help. But what the Bible talks about is God desires to work with us nonetheless. That's his 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 goal. But he doesn't need us. Recall as, as Jesus and the disciples are entering Jerusalem. The crowd comes out, they're singing his praises, and the Pharisees come out and yell at Jesus, tell them to stop. You know, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, football game's on, I'm, I'm, trying, to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to relax. And Jesus says, well, if I tell them to be quiet, the stones themselves will, will praise God. So God can do anything he wants. He doesn't need us. So he doesn't need us to worship him. He doesn't need us to give of our time, our talents, and our finances to him. That's already his anyway, you see. But when it, when it comes to worship, he doesn't need us to worship him, but he knows that we need to worship him. Because if we don't worship him, we're going to worship ourselves. 
or we will find others to worship. We will make idols of ourselves and others. So to keep us from doing that, that's why God is so insistent. The most important thing we do is worship. You've got to worship first before you do all this other stuff. You've got to do the other stuff, but if you don't worship me first, and you just, you're just a really good person, you do all these things, you're just trying to earn your salvation. And you can't do that. So you have, we have to do it God's way. So God's not some egomaniac that you know, thrives on our worshiping him, but he knows that this is the best thing for us. So is our Heavenly Father, he tells us, this is what you need to do. And if you don't understand it, just do it. So Uzzah should have understood that. I say, we need him, he wants us. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it is a, a need and a want situation. That you know, God really wants to work with us. And that's why David is held up as his model, because David wants to work with God. See, I, I keep inquiring, I keep submitting, I, I keep humbling myself before God. You know, that's exactly what he wants. I can work with somebody like that, as opposed to somebody who, who's arrogant and belligerent. God can't work with them, but I can't either. Right? Good. Well, let me ask something, or let me just bring a point here, too. I, I think the severity of Uzzah Uzza's, was because God had already mandated that you don't touch it. Right. So it was. it's more, in, in my thinking, than um, God not wanting us t- to do his job, but when he tells us what his job is and we still decide to do it, I think the consequences... Are certainly greater. Right. So it, it's it's not, not only for us, but for those around us. Because you can't claim ignorance. Yeah. Now it's a it's a very good point, and you know, God does that repeatedly. And I've seen the value of that with God with His people, and I have done the same thing with my children. And anytime I'm with our youth group, let's say, or, or children's groups, um, when we went to Winter Jam with the teenagers here last month. Well, we all get get into the happy vans. Here's the deal. Because I know what irritates me. And I'm going to tell you. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because yeah, I don't want to assume they know this. So I can't I can't punish if they don't know it. I can if they do. <laughs> right? So it's if you do this, I got a cell phone. I have your parents' phone number. I will call them. They will come and get you up in State College. It will not be a pleasant trip home for you. <laughs> right? So do not do these things. Because the hammer will drop. <laughs> right? So, yeah, when, you, when you're clear with the expectation, then absolutely you, you've got to follow that up with yeah. so good the punishment. So good intentions, if they're still against God, they're against God. Because, remember the old adage, what's the, 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 the road to hell paved with? Good intentions. Right? So, yeah, I think that's... Good, good, good case in point. So we have to understand. See, that, that's the purpose of this. We understand the, the mind of God. Don't say you agree with it. Don't say you like it. But trust me, don't be like these people back then. Don't be like Abner and, and these northern tribes. We, we knew all along David's supposed to be king. We just wanted to fight it, <laughs> right? It'll never work out. God's will be done. It will. So we might as well get with the program. And so that, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with it, make sure we have an understanding of why seemingly overly harsh. I mean, this was a big deal. And imagine how you were part of that parade. 
whoa! <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not going to touch it. But so it, it did serve as a good lesson for everybody else. Now the word's out. Everybody knows, thou shalt not touch. <laughs> no, no, no touchy. So, but God wants to work with us nonetheless within the parameters. So God's not going to ask us to do everything. In fact, God's going to do most of it for us. But what we're asked to do, God expects us to do. I'm going to take care of the rest. You guys just do this little bit. Pastor Jeff, is that, is that the only time that happens? Yeah. Lesson learned. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, well, once they finally get it back, build the temple, they put the ark in a little closet, right? Now, if this was the temple, it would be right over there in, in that room. Only about that big. But there was no door, lockable door. Just a curtain. Now, no one's allowed to touch the ark. No one's allowed to look in there. A curious child? The law was, anybody looks, anybody touches, you're dead. <coughs> Period. If you're that curious, too bad. You're dead. There's no soldier standing in front of that curtain. But everybody knew. <laughs> God will smite thee if, if, if you do any of this. So it was never a problem. Because it was universally understood. Parents taught their kids and instilled in their kids. Yeah, whatever you do, do not look, look behind the curtain because you'll, you'll, you'll see the, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the tree in the garden. Do anything you want. Just don't, don't, try, don't, don't eat of that one tree. That's all I ask. So this is your worship area. You do anything you want here. Just don't go behind the curtain. And unfortunately, only once a year, the high priest would go in and have a conversation with God and then come out and tell the people what God said. Once a year. Wow. it's a long time to wait. So, if you recall, that was the process with, with John the Baptist's father who went in to talk to God, and God says, you're going to have a, have a son? And he said, well, that's stupid. My wife's way too old for that. <laughs> I said, well, since you don't believe, you don't get to speak until you're willing to name your son what I want you to name him. So finally, so he comes out, and the people are, great anticipation, speak to us. So go, high priest, and tell us what God says. <laughs> and nothing comes out so what a disappointing day that was so and he walked around mute for for a long time until he finally gave the child the name and then and now 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 he can talk again so just kind of kind of funny that so we had all that fun Uz is dead the ark is now brought in and set in his place in the tent that david had pitched for it verse 17 David sacrifices burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Doing what was mandated with the foods. Uh, but notice the, the people. Everybody is in the streets. This is a day of celebration. Now, as David is, if you go back to verse 16... David is leaping and dancing before the Lord. And this first wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, uh, which, by the way, she is only identified now as Saul's daughter. 
not David's wife. That's very telling and setting us up for what we're soon to discover. See, the, the, the Bible does that quite frequently. It, it, it will uh, assess blame kind of in a subtle kind of way. Uh, after the story of Bathsheba, her name never appears again in Scripture. She is only referred to as Uriah's wife, not David's wife. But her name is stricken from the record. Michael's name is now beginning in that same process. Rather than associated with David, she is associated with the evil Saul. So David is, as we'll discover uh, uh, verse, 20, verse 20 that David is in the street dancing and singing and it's just a party party it is Mardi Gras like you wouldn't believe David apparently takes off his clothes and is dancing in the streets buck naked who is buck naked anyway um, it's kind of a funny scene but apparently that's what happened and Michael is up in the whatever room up in the palace looking down on this procession, which is telling in and of itself, why wasn't she out there part of it? But instead content with being separate and observing. Does that sound like something God wants us to do? Right? When all, everybody else is right there in, in the midst of the, the, the celebration, you're aloof. So that's indicating something as well. But she notices, who's that naked guy? Holy cow, it's David. <laughs> put your clothes on, Edith. Ethel. Ethel, Ethel. Yeah, put, put your clothes on, Ethel. Uh, yeah. uh, but so he's dancing, dancing, and Swanee comes in to the royal palace, and Michael's there with crossed arms. Now, this is one of many wives. And she's displeased. So she says to him, yeah. At verse 20, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Now, she's really snarky here, right? Disobey, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. So she's basically saying, you have you totally disgraced yourself by... We men are really... <laughs> <laughs> Women will find anything to nag about, won't they? <laughs> Admiring God's work. Yeah. <laughs> Missed the um, heart and was judging. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it, it it's a really big ball here. I mean, yeah, she, she it tells us a lot. Yeah, yeah. It just it it almost you learn more from what's not there than what is there. I mean, it really reveals that that you know that she's not she's not doing what she should be doing. And notice David's response in verse twenty one. Yeah, it was before the Lord. I was doing this before the Lord. This God who chose me rather than your father. Nah, 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 nah. Right? Or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Now, I'm here to tell you that's a freedom of worship that... <laughs> No, I'm not going to strip down this Sunday, so relax. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, but that's really a model of worship, is it not? 
just that freedom, that 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 expression, that that inhibition. That, yeah, right. Just letting go. That's what worship is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be structured. It's not supposed to be, you know, just do this like that. And, you know, if you miss something for crying out loud, it's the end of the world, right? If you don't, if you get the order wrong, it's supposed to be more, let's just do this. Let's just relax and, 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 and go through it. So David is, is making a model of worship for us and declares that I will, I'll do even more. You didn't like that? Stick around, baby. <laughs> you know, I, got, I get even more, more up my sleeve. But of these slave girls you spoke of that you, know, you think are going to look at me disgracefully, I will be held in their honor, he says, because they will understand what I was doing. And then the really revealing verse, verse 23. And Michael, daughter of Saul, again, identifier, us, disassociated from, from David, had no children to the day of her death. Now again, culturally, a barren woman was anathema. I mean, just... Because obviously God has cursed you. We don't want to be anywhere near you. Um, I think we could attribute that to David didn't want anything to do with her. <laughs> Remember, I got a lot of other chicks around. So, um, yeah, I, I need you like a whole net. So you just go and stay in your room and, you know, I'll never, never be with you again. Well, they had no common ground. The very right. thing that he loved. Right. The this very was thing that he valued. A real rift in, in, in that marriage and that relationship. And, yeah, it just, so, you know, this daughter of Saul, you know, just doesn't get it. You know, obviously like her father and therefore you know is calling it a curse might be a little too strong but I think it is accurate to say non-blessed <laughs> uh, well, back in those days it was a curse yeah they they, they would consider it as as, as such and uh, there's plenty of stories in the Bible let's face it uh, Samuel's own mother Got no kids, remember? She's crying out to the Lord, just give me a son, give me a son, give me a son, and she gives him back to God for crying out loud. Just 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 the fact that I could say I have a son in that culture was worth everything. And uh, and again it fulfills what we talked about earlier then of you know the, the the father then, the more kids you have, the more blessed you are. The more uncursed you are, right? So it it, it, it just goes in that logic is what what we're talking about there. So Michael's kind of gone at this point. That's it. We're done with her. We'll get into Bathsheba here before too long. But there goes chapter 6. Any thoughts, questions, comments on chapter 6? I kind of think the biggest thing with the women having children was not so much her mind excuse me, but as her desire to please her husband to reproduce for him. Right. I think that's where the real rift of that was. Yep. So if if you can't do that then it's just it's it's a burden it's a terrible, terrible burden that you just never get over. Yeah. Any other thoughts on six? Never seen Michael Angelo's David. He was pretty perfect. <laughs> 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 
It's art. <laughs> Good art. That's awesome. Art. Linda too. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty wow. perfect. That's pretty good. Now how can you top that, Pastor? I don't know. I what can you say to that? You have nothing to say. Let, let them speak. Yeah. I, I am truly, truly at a loss. <laughs> <laughs> But 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 you see, but but David had David had that same thought with women, because as we're going to see the the description of Bathsheba, she was the old King James, very comely, not just just, just semi comely. She was mucho comelio, right? She was really a hot babe, and uh, was that? Is that like hot? Yes, yeah, yeah. The, the modern vernacular are just, just, just downright hot, right? So, yeah, I mean, but so he's he's a good, good looking guy. Maybe yeah, he thought a lot of Yeah, I, I kind of think so too, and that's what I, I think Scripture is is indicating that he's kind of he's becoming full of himself. He's just just yeah, conceited, uh, whatever word you want to use there. But it's 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 going over the top. So when you you find the need to amass that many women in your harem. Uh, and again, it's nothing compared to Solomon. I mean, you know, when you go from, let's see, a total 10 to 1,000, about 1,000. Can't even imagine. I just, <sighs> what do you think he felt like when you had to give him up? Yeah, really. <laughs> but do you, do you really think those numbers are accurate? Knowing the numbers, you know, you read things all the time about the number systems in the scriptures. That they're not really always what you're thinking. I mean, that is, like, like these people that they kill when they go to battle. Where did they get all these people gathered up at one time? And they'd kill them all and there's that many more available to go to the next battle. Well, but they were good at counting. I mean, knowing that we can't... We, they were very concerned with keeping an accurate historical record. And so, you know, the Romans, I mean, and these guys, I mean, they, they really were very mindful of that. That was like their big thing. So when they, they talked, I mean, numbers are quite specific, too. I mean, we're going to come across uh, here, what, in the next chapter, next two chapters. Um, you know, there's 7,000 charioteers and 20,000 foot soldiers. Yeah, yeah those are... Yeah, I don't want to count that many people, but th but that's why you break armies down into to countable divisions. So you have groups of, of ten, groups of hundred, and groups of thousands, and so that that makes it easy to count them because they're all they're all partitioned off. So you just okay, I got six groups of, of a thousand. That's six thousand people. That, well, if those numbers are correct, then David isn't the only one that was very good at his job. Yes, <laughs> reproducing that many people. Like yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the Jacob syndrome. <laughs> Just crank those babies out. <laughs> All right, let's get a little, little start in chapter 7 see what happens. Now, chapter 7 is, is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. So we're going to be spending some time on this. Uh, because in this chapter, God establishes his covenant with David and his family, which will eventually lead to Jesus being born 
as a direct product of the family of David. So for us as Christians, this chapter has a similar importance as the Magna Carta or the Declaration of Independence. I mean, this is God putting on paper his agreement with his people. And now it's referred to as the Davidic Covenant. Yes. Yep. Because David is the first one to receive it and represents that family line. So again, as you get to uh, uh, the, the genealogy in Matthew, it starts with Adam, stops at David. Starts at David, goes down to Jesus. D David is the center linchpin that holds the entire history of God together. David's pretty important. So that's to say, this covenant arrangement now is critical. Huge. But notice happens immediately after the ark is brought back. I don't think that's coincidence. So the Lord blesses David and the nation with quote, rest. Rest from your enemies. David now has some free time on his hands, which for a guy with a wandering eye is probably not a good thing. <laughs> I noticed the women picked up on that immediately. <laughs> so David looks around and realizes that he's living in a lavish palace while the ark of God is in a tent. And David, a man after God's own heart, thinks, well, that's not right. So David wants to express his love and devotion to God by building the temple. But God says no. The reason God declines David's generous offer is found in other places in the Old Testament. Uh, two main reasons. First of all, God knew that there would be more wars to fight and David could not be distracted with building a temple while trying to defend the nation. That would be like two really, really important things trying to accomplish at the same time that are counterproductive and only one could be the most important. So God knows that's going to happen. So David, don't, don't uh, distract yourself with building the temple or feel guilty if you're called, called away to war and not completing by home. I know you want to do it. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the favor. But yeah, we will wait. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let your son Solomon take, take care of that. But secondly... David has killed an awful lot of men. In other words, there's blood on his hands, which makes him, to a degree, uh, ceremonially or, or you know, religiously unclean. I mean, he's, he's killed a lot of guys. An awful lot. So there's just too much blood on his hands to be an appropriate temple builder. Now, Nathan is the one, we're introduced to Nathan. Nathan's the one who brings this word of God and says, now, well, thanks, really appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me and all that. I mean, you can just imagine the conversation. I mean, that, that's what David's doing. He's, he, he's not waiting for God to say, I want you to build a temple. He thinks about himself. Isn't that what you would do with a friend? You would go and say, do you want me to do this for you? And a friend can either say yes or no. And that's what he does, does with God. But Nathan is sent then to deliver the message of basically, well, thanks, but no thanks. We'll, we'll wait a while. Verse 3, obviously Nathan is conversing with God, and the conversation leaks over to David in, in, in verse 3. So, question. Why do you think that God told Nathan to tell David to, quote, do whatever you want? It kind of sounds like in, in this instance, God does not even expect David to inquire of him as to what he should do. Why, why would God say, go do whatever you want? He's 
Okay. Do you think he'll make the right decision? Is there a level of trust in there mm -hmm. that God has in David? Much like Job? Yeah, well, he always asks God what he wants him to do first, except when it comes to women. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting to note that in the King James, it actually uses the word, your heart. Uh, Nathan said to King, go and do all that is in thine heart. And his heart has already been tested. Okay, take, take that to the next step now. Okay. Does that not indicate... This, this, this relationship that David has with God. Yes. Right? I mean, we've already established the relationship. A man after God's own heart. So God is saying that, David, you've had this history of, of consistently consulting me, consistently, you know, doing that. Don't we do that when you're around somebody an awful lot? You've been married a long time or you have a really good friend for, for 40 or 50 years. Don't you find yourself completing each other's sentences? You, you, and, and you anticipate what this person is going to say or what this person wants or needs before they even express it. Don't you do that? That's what's happening here. D David, you, you, you and I have been one for so long. You know my heart. You see, that's, that's why, why it's lifted up in King James. You know, you know my heart. You are part of my heart. Therefore, I trust you to do whatever you want to do because I know that you will do what I want you to do. Yeah, we, we know each other so well that you don't have to question me anymore. Uh, Jesus says that to the disciples. We've reached a point here at the Last Supper that, you know, I've now told you everything. You have no, no reason to question anything anymore. I've revealed it all to you. So, you know, it, but the, I think the operative word here is relationship. Mm -hmm. The relationship is so strong that and we're, yeah, certainly in in the in the Psalms and we'll we'll see it throughout you know the rest of the Old Testament is you know, David is is so strong in his relation he goes to God on a number of occasions and really yells at God I mean really lets God have it right between the eyes but you can do that when you have a good relationship if you don't have a good relationship it's probably not going to go well at all but when you trust that other person enough to be able to take to, to take me as I am right now as upset as I am, or angry, or whatever it is, and you're willing to work with me, that's a great blessing. And that's the kind of relationship God and David have. You know, a mutual trust of each other. Go ahead. You know, I think Nathan just answered David out of Nathan's own thoughts. Because verse 4, it says, That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. <coughs> Verse 3, it, it reads to me like Nathan hadn't yet <coughs> talked to God about it. It was just Nathan's thought, yes, you ought to do what, what you feel is best. Is it possible that was part of the original thing God said, to, the prior thing God said to him? Um, I, I don't think Nathan would have just shot from the hip with that because his singular job is to speak for God. If he spoke wrong of God, God would have taken him out. You know, I mean, you, you, you can't have a prophet only 50% of the time saying what, what God wants and the other 50% saying, saying what, what, what you want. Your, your goal is 100% of the time and anytime you don't misquote me, don't misrepresent me, don't do anything. Your job is to exactly mirror and mimic what, what, what I tell you to do. That's a good, good point. So that must have been part of the, the prior statement from God 
to do 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 as you as you want because yeah, and it works in God for the Lord is with you. So the assurance that that yeah that that seems to indicate to me the the, the prior conversation. Is this the first time Nathan appears? Yeah. Yes, Yeah. He just kind of pops up, doesn't he? I mean, it's, yeah. you, you think it'd be a little fanfare with that. But, uh, yeah, just kind of, oh well. And he's not one of the Nathan, the son of, of David? Could he be? No. No? That's one of, his, that's one of, one of David's sons is Nathan. It, it says that, that he's, uh, some of his other sons are his consultants and whatnot, but the, the, the prophet, yeah, and it has to be from a particular family. I mean, there's all these rules and regulations right, that it, yeah. it has to fall, fall it down through. So, okay. um, Let me ask this yeah. question here, too, back on her point. In verse 3, Nathan said to the king, do you not think that Nathan also had such a tight relationship with the Lord? Oh, yeah. That he knew, he recognized in King David that King David had a tight relationship with the Lord, and that's why he said with him, the Lord is with you. Mm -hmm. So I think those comments were based on relationship and then further confirmed. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit speaking through Absolutely. Nathan to reveal that truth to David as a confirmation, yes. Okay. Yep. Okay, there's a good place to stop. I got to go get ready for Lent lunch. Big fun. Hopefully it stops raining. Oh, yeah. Well, we got, got a little bit down the road here today, so <coughs> we might get back on schedule. Who knows? We'll give it a try one way or the other. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.